0: You're listening to the St John's Diamond Creek Podcast. This episode presented by Senior Minister Tim Johnson.
1: Today's meeting is taken from the book of Luke, chapter 5, verses 27 to 32. Jesus calls Levi and eats with sinners. After this, Jesus went out, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Last December, I was sitting in a doctor's
0: waiting room. Only I wasn't actually sick. All I needed was a new prescription for my asthma preventer. So as I was sitting there with people coughing all around me and blowing their noses, the thought occurred to me. This place is full of sick people. What am I doing here? I've got a busy two weeks ahead with Christmas services and end of year events. I can't afford to get sick. But here I am sitting with a bunch of sick people. I'm in the wrong place. Now, obviously, a doctor's waiting room is full of sick people. That's why they're there. They are waiting to see the doctor so that they can get help, so that they can get better. It's exactly where sick people should be. Well, in our Bible passage today, Jesus teaches us that the church is just like a doctor's waiting room. It's for sick people. I'm not talking about coughs and sneezes. Uh, If you do have those, then it's best that you do what you guys are doing and join our digital service instead. No, church is designed for spiritually sick people, for people whose lives are messy and messed up, for people who battle addictions and sins that are hard to get rid of, for people who are barely coping and struggling to do life, for people who need help, who need a doctor for their soul who are desperate for a cure, for healing. We see that very clearly through Jesus' calling of Levi. So I'd love you to grab your Bibles and have a look with me. We read this in verse 27. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. In our talk last week, we saw that Jesus has just healed a paralysed man who's been lowered through the roof of a house. And now Jesus goes out, out of the house, but probably also out of the town, where he sees a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax booth. You get this same story told in Matthew's Gospel and Luke's Gospel as well. And in Matthew's Gospel, the name of the tax collector is Matthew not Levi. Now it's almost certainly the same person. People in those days often had two names uh, and Jesus was also very good at renaming people when he called them to follow him. So this Levi is the same person as Matthew who becomes one of the 12 disciples of Jesus and who was the author of Matthew's gospel. And he was a tax collector. Now, to us, that sounds very respectable, right? A career with the ATO looks great on a resume. And I've got some very, I know some very fine people who work there as well. But Levi would certainly have not been viewed in this way. The type of tax that he collected would have been a toll or a custom tax, uh, which is why I say that Jesus probably went out of the town because the tax booth would have been on the road, So as people came into town, they were stopped at this tax booth and charged a toll, especially on goods that they were carrying. Tax collectors worked for the government, that is the occupying Roman army who had conquered Israel. They collected the taxes on behalf of this occupying force. In Galilee, the region where this takes place, the money would have gone to Herod Antipas, who was not much more like than the Romans because he was really their puppet king ruling over the people. So tax collectors were firstly seen as collaborators with the enemy. They were traitors to their nation. But they were also seen as extortionists and thieves. As long as they collected what was required by the authorities, there was plenty of room for them to add their own cut, and they did, and they were usually very wealthy people. Uh, The Jewish Talmud classifies tax collectors as robbers. (laughs) And as they stopped people on the roads and took their money, that's exactly what it looked like, highway robbery. So this Levi was a social outcast. He was despised by his own people as a traitor and a thief. What would Jesus do when he encountered this man? Here's how verse 27 continues and into 28. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything and followed him. Jesus doesn't waste any words here. He just gives a command, follow me. Not just follow me where I'm going today, but come with me wherever I go. Learn from me. Model your life on my life and teaching And quite simply, Levi does it. He gets up, he leaves everything, and he follows Jesus. It's so succinct in the words here that it's easy to lose the magnitude of what's happening. Levi's career is as a tax collector, and it's highly lucrative. He's a very wealthy person, but he leaves it all behind to follow Jesus. There's no going back for him. Peter, Andrew, James and John, who were fishermen, could have gone back to their fishing if it didn't work out with Jesus. But this is it for Levi. Walking away from this job as a tax collector is burning the bridge. He couldn't have reapplied for his job. This is it for him. Jesus was everything. And you see, that's what it means to follow Jesus. It's not a part-time hobby, it's not something that you do on the side or that you fit in around other more important things. No, following Jesus means putting him in charge, making him central to every aspect of your life. And there's a cost in that that we need to recognize. There's a financial cost. Uh, we may not be as wealthy as Levi we'll need to actually walk away from our career to follow Jesus like he did. But following Jesus does mean putting him in charge of our money and being generous in the way we use our money in giving it to his mission in the world. There are lifestyle costs. As we seek to follow Jesus, that necessarily means changing and living differently. There are relational costs. People may reject us because we're followers of Jesus. Even our own families may disown us for making that decision. But Levi considered that it was worth it. He got up, left everything, and followed him. And he didn't do it reluctantly either. He decided instead to throw a big party, verse 29. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. There's real joy expressed here as Levi celebrates with Jesus. And he wants to share the joy that he's experiencing with others too. So he invites his tax collector mates to come over and various other social outcasts too. Levi's really found something in Jesus. There's something about this Jesus that's grabbed hold of him, so much so that he's willing to abandon everything he's been doing and follow him. And it's so good that he wants to share it with other people. New followers of Jesus are often like this. They're just bursting with the joy of what they've discovered in Jesus. And why wouldn't they tell everyone about it? And why wouldn't they invite all their mates to encounter Jesus too? In fact, the danger for those of us who've been following Jesus for a long time is that we can lose this enthusiasm. We can take for granted what an amazing gift we have in Jesus. That's why those of you who are new followers of Jesus are such a blessing to our church because you remind us so often of what a joy it is to follow Jesus. There's a cost and there's a joy to following Jesus. We need to acknowledge the cost and we need to be real about that. But we can also embrace the joy that comes from following Jesus. The missionary, Jim Elliott, who was killed at age 28, along with four others as they sought to share Jesus with a remote tribe in Ecuador, put it like this. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That was Levi's story too. He gave up first his wealth and later his very life in order to follow Jesus. But not everyone in this story is filled with joy and happiness. Uh, The Pharisees and their teachers of the law are very grumpy with Jesus. Though they don't go directly to Jesus with their complaint, instead they talk to his disciples about it. Verse 30. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Now, Jesus being at this party may not seem like a big deal to us, but in the strict religious culture of the Pharisees, eating with people who were sinful thieves and collaborators, people whose lifestyles showed a rejection of God and his laws, associated you so strongly with them that it, made you unclean along with them. Eating with these people was also seen as condoning their actions. And it worked against the powerful social deterrent that was put in place to shun these sorts of people and to have nothing to do with them. And so as Jesus eats with this group of people, it's seen as him saying that they're all okay and their actions are fine. But listen carefully to Jesus' response in verse 31 and 32. Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Do you hear that? Jesus is not condoning Levi and the other's behaviour but nor is he reluctant to be with them and to eat with them like a doctor who spends their entire day treating sick patients. Jesus has come to treat spiritually sick people, people like Levi and his friends, people who are sinners who recognize that they fall short of what God demands of them. You know, it'd be totally bizarre, if a doctor's surgery had a sign out the front that said healthy patients only, right? That would make no sense at all. People go to the doctor to get help, to be treated, to be healed. And Jesus says, that's why I've come to help people, to heal people, to call sinners to repentance. And if that's why Jesus came, then that must be what Jesus' followers are on about as well. It'd be totally bizarre if a church had a sign out the front that said, righteous people only, respectable people only, nice people only. And yet that is what people often think about church. People think that church is where the good people go to hang out with other good people and that You've somehow got to have it all together, all of your life sorted before you even walk through the front door. That makes no sense in light of the teachings of Jesus. Church is for spiritually sick people who need healing. Church is for sinful people who need forgiveness. Church is for broken people who need Jesus to put their lives together. If you're uh, watching here today and your life is a mess, right, you're racked with guilt or shame, you doubt why other people, let alone God, would accept you, then you're in the right place. Welcome. Uh, you're sitting in the doctor's surgery with the other patients. And Jesus, the great physician, is ready to see you. These truths about Jesus' mission have two implications for us. Firstly, there's an implication for our growth in godliness. If Jesus is a doctor who's come to heal sick people, if Jesus is here to call sinners to repentance, then all of us here are works in progress. We need continual change and growth. Every single one of us has aspects of our lives that need healing and help. And the role of the church community is not to pretend that we've somehow got it all together, but to acknowledge that we all fall short and we all need Jesus. We see this most clearly, I think, when we pray our prayer of confession together. We acknowledge that we are all sinners and we ask God to forgive us. Uh, In the Book of Common Prayer, it includes uh, this version of a prayer of confession. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We've followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We've offended against your holy laws. We've left undone those things which we ought to have done and we've done those things which we ought not to have done and there is no health in us. Do you hear that last line? And there is no health in us. If there's no health in us, then we need Dr. Jesus to help us. It's his death on the cross which offers us complete forgiveness for our sins. And he also wants to transform our lives so that we're more like him. Notice the way that Jesus deals with Levi and his friends and so also how he deals with us. He doesn't wait until we've got it all together to befriend us and to call us to follow him. He comes to us, he eats with us, he welcomes us. Uh, That's his grace to us in accepting us wherever we're at but he doesn't want to just leave us where we're at. He's come to call sinners to repentance. Repentance means doing a U-turn, stopping going in the wrong direction and starting going in the right direction. It means change and often painful and difficult change. There's a cost to following Jesus. So my question to you is, How do you want to change and grow in godliness in 2024? Where do you need to change and grow? Are there sins that you're stuck in that require dealing with? Are there character flaws that you're aware of which are hurting other people and need Jesus' healing? Do you need to grow by getting stuck into the Bible more or dedicating more time to prayer? When you walk into the consulting room and Dr. Jesus says to you, tell me what's wrong. How can I help? What is your answer to those questions? And secondly, I think there's an implication here for our outreach as a church. See, Jesus went to people like Levi, people who were not respectable and who were not close to God. He befriended them and then he called them to follow him. He didn't wait until people had their lives together to call them. Otherwise, no one would ever become his follower. And I think sometimes we can think about family members or friends, and we say to ourselves, they'll never become followers of Jesus. Well, why not? Jesus came to call the people who were furthest from God and the most unlikely to follow him. He came to call the sick and sinners. In fact, the people in this story who reject Jesus are the religious types, the respectable ones, the people who think that they are righteous, when in fact they're not. They trust themselves rather than recognising their need for Jesus and giving up everything to follow him. So we should never, ever write people off or think that Jesus Could never reach them. Instead, we should pray for them. We should love them. We should meet them where they are at, just like Jesus did. That doesn't mean agreeing with all of their beliefs or all of their lifestyle. Jesus met people wherever they were, but he didn't leave them where they were. He calls sick people. To be healed, he calls sinners to repentance. He offers his grace, his forgiveness, and his Holy Spirit, and he begins his good work of transformation. How is Dr. Jesus at work to heal and to help you? And who else can you refer to Dr. Jesus to provide them with the help and with the healing that they need?